أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله ولتنظر نفس ما قدمت لغد واتقوا الله واتقوا الله إن الله خبير بما تعملون ولا تكونوا كالذين نسوا الله فأنساهم أنفسهم أولئك هم الفاسقون لا يستوي أصحاب النار وأصحاب الجنة أصحاب الجنة هم الفائزون لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي all praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him and seek His assistance and guidance. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomsoever Allah misguides, none can guide. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. And that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, Salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. 
All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for bringing us together again in the series of sharing from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in uh, Kuwait, again continuing uh, with the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during this first visit of mine. Last night we discussed lessons from Surah Yusuf and uh, this afternoon we learned together the names of mercy and compassion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And continuing upon that theme of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have this third program in which I hope to introduce the topic of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this particular talk, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, I wish to share with you um, an explanation related to the ayah in Surah Al-A'raf pertaining to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then I would like to discuss with you all a little bit some lessons pertaining to the famous hadith related to the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The objective of uh, the short time that I have with you all uh, to discuss this uh, particular introduction is inshallah to encourage you all to pursue your own journeys related to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we said yesterday, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, that these lectures and lessons are not uh, being conducted uh, for the sake of merely uh, listening to them or having something interesting to do um, on the weekend. Rather, uh, as we shared yesterday, knowledge is not an end in and of itself, it's a means to an end. And the end of knowledge is to apply it and put it into practice. So we must take some action points from every lecture that we attend. And no doubt the action point from this lecture is for you to pursue a journey related to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why pursue this journey? Well, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, the foundation of Islam is one of knowledge. And proof to this reality is the fact that the first words revealed, or the first word rather revealed, was iqra, which means to read. And reading is the means by which we attain knowledge. And the instrument of Islam is the pen, which is also an instrument of knowledge. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The one who taught using the pen, and Allah takes an oath by the pen. And Allah does not take an oath except by that which is honorable. Thus Allah says, Noon wal qalami wa ma yasturun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by the pen and that which the pens inscribe. So the foundation of Islam is a one of knowledge. And the instrument of Islam is one of knowledge. And generally we understand how noble a process is by looking at its package. This is generally human tendency, that whenever we look at the nobility of something, we understand its nobility by looking at the package that uh, normally is associated with it. Uh, if we take simple examples of, uh, of social examples, uh, even in, in, in our times today, being a doctor is considered something noble. And uh, I see many from the Indian subcontinent uh, present here. We know this common 
uh, norm or tendency uh, with Asian families in terms of education, their children should grow up either to be doctors or engineers or accountants or lawyers. These are considered the noble, the noble four, right? Um, why? Because generally society attaches uh, a great uh, package to it in terms of the pay that you get, in terms of how society looks up to you, in terms of the perks that come with the positions uh, that you have. Now, I'm not. Uh, being stereotyped here uh, by saying that all these uh, qualifications uh, come with uh, all the bells and whistles. This differs from country to country and situation to situation. But generally, the package associated with these qualifications is noble to such an extent that society considers you to be someone of importance. Even if you were getting your child married, uh, you would look for someone who holds uh, these sort of degrees. If someone's a doctor, this is uh, this is something very important to you. Perhaps you would consider it uh, first before you consider the character. This is what some people do today. So for us to understand how noble this concept of knowledge is, no doubt we should look at the package that the Sharia has attached to uh, knowledge. And when we look at the concept of knowledge, we see that the Sharia has placed mighty rewards for the person who pursues it and for the person who acts upon it. And from the outset of this discussion, we can't turn our faces away from the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in which he said, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ That the one who treads a path seeking Islamic knowledge, then Allah will ease his or her path to Jannah. Many of you have traveled from uh, the other side of the city, which I just came to learn, is only 20 minutes away. It's not too far away. Uh, some people were saying, oh, the talk's on the other side of town. Uh, at Jumu'ah, uh, people were saying, where's the talk tonight? When the location was given, they said, oh, it's a bit far away. It's only 20 minutes away. In other cities, the other end of town means one hour away. Like Riyadh, where I live, right? Uh, but here you've uh, traveled a distance or not to come to the venue. So you've taken on a path, you're treading a path. Why? To seek beneficial knowledge. You must understand that because of what you have done, Allah has eased your way to Jannah for what you have done. This is the package associated for the person who seeks beneficial knowledge. In the hadith of Abu Darda, عنه, he says that the Prophet said, Al-ulama warathatul anbiya. وَإِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا وَإِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ That uh, the scholars, they are the inheritors of the prophets and the messengers. And the prophets and messengers, they never left behind gold and silver coins. Rather, they left behind beneficial knowledge. So whoever takes hold of this knowledge has taken hold of great goodness, abundant goodness, or goodness in abundance. Subhanallah. And... We learn from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam about the knowledgeable one. وَإِنَّ الْعَالِمْ لَيَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَالْحِيْتَانِ فِي جَوْفِ الْمَاءِ That indeed for the knowledgeable person, then the fish in the sea and everything on earth and everything in the skies, they seek forgiveness for this person of knowledge. They ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to forgive him or her. Subhanallah. What would you pay, brothers and sisters, to have one human being ask make du'a to Allah? for your forgiveness. Now imagine a pure recreation of Allah, the angels, 
and the creation of Allah that's free from sin, the fish in the sea, the insects under the ground, the animals that walk on top of the ground, the birds that fly in the skies, the insects that fly in the skies. If you seek knowledge, all this crea- these creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. Imagine that. By you seeking knowledge, you put yourself in a process whereby you make the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala work in your favor. This is a massive package. And to remind one and all, we're discussing the package associated with seeking knowledge. Why? Because societies today understand the nobility of endeavors by looking at the package that is associated with it. So we see subhanallah, brothers and sisters in Islam, how great the rewards are for the one who seeks knowledge and the perks and the opportunities as well. With this introduction, the next question needs to be asked. That if seeking knowledge is so grand, then what's the first thing that we need to learn about? Well, our scholars teach us, brothers and sisters in Islam, that the first revelation was iqra, to read and seek knowledge. And the first thing that we were commanded to learn about is فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Another ayah in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and know that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. The first command here, after the command of seeking knowledge, is to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brothers and sisters in Islam, through one of the following ways. The first way, or one of these ways, is through tafakkur, through pondering over the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And pondering over yourself as someone created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ponder over your realities. How you are in a system that every other human being has. You have a heart with four chambers. You have veins that carry deoxygenated blood. And arteries that carry oxygenated blood. Except one vein, which is the pulmonary vein. It's an exception to the general rule. It carries oxygenated blood because it brings blood back to the heart from the lungs. And with the exception of the pulmonary artery, which is an exception to the rule, because it carries deoxygenated blood, taking blood from the lungs, from the heart to the lungs. You have the system with bicuspid valves, and it works effortlessly. And should we say tirelessly as well? And you function as a human being. We learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in pondering over ourselves as a creation. This is tafakkur, pondering over the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala around us. Looking at the sun and the moon and the perfect system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the setting of the sun and the rising of the sun and the placement of the mountains and the stability that it gives the earth. Looking at the system of the oceans of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the high tide and the low tide. And the different creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth and in the seas and the ecosystems that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused to exist on earth. And the interdependent nature of us as human beings, as well as in relation to the rest of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that each and every one of us has a part to play. And we play that part for the betterment and development of the other. Indeed, in this are science. And a person who practices tafakkur is praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if he practices it or she practices it properly, it will lead them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And at the end of the fourth juz, or just before the third quarter of the fourth juz, before the end of Surah Al-Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises His servants, but a particular group of them. Who are they? This group that practices tafakkur. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ Allah says, indeed, in the differences of the night and the day, that some nights are longer and some nights are shorter, some nights are colder, whilst other nights are warmer, some nights are silent and peaceful, whilst other nights are dressed with the chaos of war. Indeed, in the differences of the nights and the day, the different temperatures of the nights and the day, the different lengths of the nights and the day, are signs. As well as in the creation of the heavens and the earth, are signs. Signs for who? People of objectivity. People of sound intellect. Those who use their minds as it's supposed to be used and give the truth a chance to guide them. There are signs for them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about these praiseworthy human beings. Who are they, Ya Allah? الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Allah says there are those who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while standing and while sitting and while laying and they ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth. And whilst they do this, this leads them to develop a greater understanding and recognition of their creator. They learn about their creator through this and this overwhelms them that they have this burning desire to call out to Allah and ask from Allah. Thus they say, رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا سُبْحَانَكَ فَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارُ They call out to their Creator and they say, Glory be to you, Ya Allah. Out of being overwhelmed through the knowledge that they developed about Allah through pondering over the creation of Allah. Thus they say, Glory be to you, how perfect you are. Protect us and save us from the hellfire. So this is one of the ways to learn about Allah through tafakkur. Another way is through tadabbur. And tadabbur references pondering over the ayat in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A sort of exercise similar to what we did last night when we discussed lessons from Surah Yusuf and we extracted lessons from behind the ayat of this particular surah in relation to sociology and correct usage of the tongue and uh, proficiency and proactiveness in terms of your demeanor as a human being in the different environments that you live in. This is tadabbu. And as you practice tadabbu, you learn about your creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ Quran? Do they not ponder and reflect over this Quran? أَمْ عَلَى قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Or has a lock been set on their hearts? Has a lock been set on their hearts? And this ayah was revealed for the ummah, no doubt. But the original people that it was revealed about was the Quraysh, those people who disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
They are receiving this ayah. That you worship idols and you don't worship one Allah. Why? Because you don't ponder over the revelation. And you don't ponder over the creation. If you did that with objectivity, whilst allowing the truth to guide you, you would see the misguidance in worshipping idols that cannot benefit or harm you. And the total benefit in worshipping one Allah, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al Wahid al Qahar, Al Ahad al Samad, Al Ladi lam Yalid wa lam Yulad, wa lam Yakullahu Kufu wal Ahad, Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. So we learn about Allah in the second way through the concept of Tadabna. The third way, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, by which we learn about our Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is through the fitrah and its protection and its development. And the fitrah refers to your natural disposition, this pure nature upon which you are created. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this, Right? Allah created us upon a pure disposition. A disposition of tawheed and belief in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every human being is born as a believer because they're born upon the sitra. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam teaches us in the sunnah, كُلُّ مَوْلُودٍ يُولَدْ عَلَى فِطْرَتِهِ فَأَبَوَاهُ that everyone is born upon Tawheed, and a pure natural nature. But it's the environments that pollute that nature, that pollutes your fitrah. It's the parents that make you a Christian or a Jew or a fire worshiper. So we learn about Allah through going back to the original state of the fitrah and doing everything needed to protect that state. And developing the fitrah, the state of the fitrah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, given that there will be this reality where environments will pollute our fitrah, He never left us astray. Rather, He sent prophets and revealed books to recalibrate the fitrah. To recalibrate it. That it might lose its calibration, so the prophet is sent and the book is sent to recalibrate it. That the message of the prophet and the message of revelation is... It has synergy with the pure state of the fitrah. If you give your fitrah a chance, it will recognize the truthful nature of the man presenting the message, meaning the Prophet, and recognize the truthful nature of the message that has come with revelation. So this is how we learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Using tafakkur, using tadabbur, and using the fitrah, the natural Disposition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us upon, and in particular its pure state. And in particular, brothers and sisters in Islam, when we use these three realities, we learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His names and attributes. And the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are plentiful in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the scholars teach us Sharaful ilmi bi sharafil ma'lum. The nobility of any knowledge is understood through looking at the nobility of the subject matter being studied. And this topic about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really should teach us how noble the, sub, the topic is when we look at the nature of the subject matter. 
Because when you learn the names of Allah as a topic, you are studying no other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And that is why the study of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been considered the most noble of knowledge. And that is why Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he says that the reality of the knowledge of Allah Almighty to the rest of knowledge is like the reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself to the rest of creation. I'll repeat it. He says, rahimahullah, that the reality of the knowledge of Allah Almighty's names and attributes to the rest of knowledge is like the reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself to the rest of creation. Subhanallah. And he goes on to say that there's no happiness and no reformation and no completeness and no real blessing except by knowing your Creator and making your life's prerogative and your life's entire endeavor learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because no matter how long you live, you will never learn all about your Creator. That's how amazing your Creator is. And Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he says that knowledge in its complete form comes about with knowing its two branches. I asked you all to come with a pen and paper because uh, this talk has been prepared for you. It's not one of those talks where we're just going to wing it. I'm going to share with you, inshallah, something real out of humbling myself in front of a topic such as the topic that we're discussing. We just said that we're discussing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So please jot down these notes because you will not remember the contents of this talk. Or at least make it a promise between you and Allah that you will listen to the recording of this talk so at least you get the contents of it, brothers and sisters in Islam. I'm structuring it for you because as I said, this is an introduction. But I have an objective from this introduction and that is that you are motivated onwards towards living your life basking in the light of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, learning the names and so on and so forth. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he says that there are two branches of knowledge. One is knowing Allah Almighty and all about Allah as taught to us by our fitrah and revelation and via the messengers, alayhimu salatu wassalam. And he says that a person who does this has learned about the legislator. The one who sets the rules, who reveals the revelation and teaches us the do's and the don'ts. Knowledge of the legislator. This is the first branch of knowledge. Learning about the one who legislates, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says that the second branch of knowledge is learning about that which is legislated. So you learn about the legislator who is Allah. And then you learn about that which Allah has legislated. And if you learn these two things, you have engulfed the topic of knowledge and its reality. And if we take a cursory look at society today, brothers and sisters in Islam, we would probably say that there are three types of people. There are those who are knowledgeable about Allah, but not about the laws of Allah. And these are people who are great worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they were found in the, in, uh, throughout time. In fact, Imam Malik rahimahullah famously said that there are people in Masjid al-Nabawi, they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in an amazing way, possibly like no one on the face of the earth. I'm paraphrasing, of course. 
But I would never ask them one ruling of halal or haram. They have knowledge about Allah, thus they worship Him and worship Him, but they have no knowledge about that which Allah has legislated. And then we have a group of people who have knowledge about the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they haven't really understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself. So we find them knowledgeable about maybe halal and haram. We find them knowledgeable about information related to Islamic education. But we don't find them worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the knowledge that they have mandates. Which means they didn't learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the knowledge that they have. And sometimes we see this today. That many, some, let's not say many, some people, they busy themselves in debating other people about the names and attributes of Allah and the meanings of the names and uh, affirmation of the meanings and so on and so forth. But you don't find them waking up for tahajjud, for example, or fasting that little bit extra, which comes when you learn more about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have superficial knowledge about, or should I say they have data regarding the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, but they don't have knowledge information regarding that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed. Because data is data, but when you process it, it becomes knowledge. So perhaps they have data, but they haven't processed the data, internalized it. So it's not part and parcel of who they are as human beings. So we find them speaking a good speech. We find them having abundant knowledge in their mind. But we see little seepage of the knowledge in terms of the rest of their bodies. And them as human beings, in their character, in their speech, in their behavior, and so on and so forth. They haven't internalized that knowledge. And then obviously we have the third group, which is the group that has knowledge of the legislator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and knowledge of the legislated. And they are those who put their knowledge into practice. And they are the ulama. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us to be from the circle before we pass away. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. And this is really who the ulama are. And there's a famous narration that uh, is attributed to an incident that occurred with Imam al-Sha'bi, rahimahullah, a famous uh, giant in terms of knowledge from our history. Someone went to him and said, Ya Alim, Oh Alim, Oh Alim. And he became visibly ex- uh, upset. And he said back to the person, That indeed an alim is the one who has khashya of Allah. Khashya of Allah. And khashya doesn't mean raw fear, like khawf. Khashya means reverence, respect, or fear with respect. Whereby you revere Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that reverence cannot occur and enter your heart except by you knowing the knowledge that Allah has revealed whilst also knowing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is Himself. That you know who He is and you know His command and you act on it. Not like the person who says, I love Allah, but he sins. And even worse, without regret. And as the poet says, That indeed, the obedient one, or the one to another person who he or she loves, is obedient. When you truly love someone, you are obedient to their wishes and their commands. You do not go against their wishes and their commands. 
You do not act in a way that will make them upset. And if you do, you will feel extreme regret. And you will feel the burning desire to seek forgiveness. This is when you have true love. So, true love, brothers and sisters in Islam, or true reverence comes when you understand the legislator and that which the legislator has legislated, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, Imam al-Sa'di rahimahullah, a contemporary scholar who passed away, he says that the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes and names is inclusive of the knowledge of Tawheed and its branches. For those who have studied uh, a little bit about uh, Tawheed, you would have been taught that we have Tawheed al-Rububiyya and Tawheed al-Uluhiyya and Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat. Tawheed al-Rububiyya is, is our acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being one in His Lordship. Tawheed al-Uluhiyya refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being one in His worship. And Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat refers to the, uh, our belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one in His names and His attributes. Thus the one who learns the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or he increases in his knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his names and attributes, he will naturally increase in his tawheed, in his belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his lordship and in his worship and in his names and attributes. And no doubt this is goodness and greatness. And Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah says, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants goodness for his slave, he opens his heart towards accepting his names and attributes and developing a greater understanding of his names and attributes. Subhanallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our hearts. And many people say, how do I know if Allah loves me? How do I know if Allah is accepting of me? Accepting my deeds? Well, this is from the science. That you find in your heart this need to learn more about Allah. You are drawn towards it like a magnet. You want to learn more about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus you want to learn more about his names and attributes and not just the, the letters of the names, but the meanings of the names. And not just the meanings of the names, but the impact that your knowledge of those meanings has on your heart and your character and your belief and so on and so forth. That you find yourself more developed as a human being with the more knowledge that you've received about who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And we said earlier, brothers and sisters in Islam, that the more we know about some, we said earlier, that the more we love someone, then the more we will obey them. But how do we love someone? We love them by learning about them. This is love. Love is a substantial feeling. It is a feeling that is built upon a substantial base. And that is why I, I always mention to our young boys and girls, those who are, have been tested with having uh, attraction uh, to the opposite gender. Say, Shaykh, make dua, I marry this girl. It has to be this girl. I say, inshallah, I'll ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you her if she's good for you. No, no, Shaykh, please. Please. It ask Allah to grant me her. This is her address. This is her passport number. <laughs> this is the ID number. It has to be this girl specific. I say, but brother, why are you, why are you so invested? He says, no, Shaykh, because you know, I love her. I say, but okay, you love her. Tell me something you know about her. 
no knowledge of her. I said, so you are infatuated with her. You don't, you cannot love someone you don't know. Love comes when you live with her and you learn about her. Love comes when you see the good points and it amazes you or you patient upon the strong points and you feel an inclination to be patient upon them. That's when you can say you love someone. But you sitting at home and she's in a home and you're dreaming that you love her, this is not love. You love comes when you have knowledge of the person. And I share with you this close example so you can understand the bigger example, brothers and sisters in Islam. That you can't love Allah truly until you learn who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And if you want to develop your love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you need to go on a journey learning His names and attributes. Because through His names and attributes, are you going to learn more about your Creator? That's how you learn who He is, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the more you learn about Him, the more you will love Him. And the more you love Him, now the more you want to worship Him. You don't need to be motivated to worship Allah. Like how you are motivated naturally to buy a present of the highest pedigree for the wife who you love, or the husband who you love. No one needs to motivate to give you an iman boosting talk. You know, that's what people say today. Huh? They say, Shaykh, give us the iman boost. Well, if the iman feeling low, give us the boost. No one needs to give you the love boost. So you can go buy your wife a present. You naturally feel inclined towards going and purchasing for her something special. You're willing to tap into your savings. Why? She's worth it. The wife will do it for the husband. Why? He's worth it. Why? Because there's love. You've learned so much about this person that has developed a substantial emotion towards them. You are invested. The same applies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more you learn about him, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, the more you'll want to wake up for tahajjud and stay away from sin. You'll want to do it. Because you know it pleases Allah and you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You love him to be pleased with you. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. And the more you love Allah, the more you will worship Him. Thus I say as an equation, our worship's potential is proportionate to the depth of knowledge that you have about the one who is being worshipped. Did you understand that? Let me repeat it. This is an equation. Your worship's potential is proportionate to the depth of your knowledge about the one who you are worshipping. The more you understand who Allah is, the better your worship will be and the more your worship will be. It will increase in quantity and quality. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. This is a universal equation. This is a reality through observation. So some people say, how can I develop my khushu in my salah? You know, I'm doing the wudu, getting to the masjid early, but I find my mind still busy. You develop your khushu by learning more about the one who you're worshipping, who you're standing in front of. Learn about who he is, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you will find the rest of you falling into line. Feeling the necessary respect that is needed. And that's why I started this talk saying, the first word that was revealed was iqa, read. And the instrument of Islam is the pen. That this religion's foundation is a foundation of knowledge, substantial, true knowledge. It's the foundation of all success. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase our knowledge. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. So, uh, inshallah, you are with me in this introduction. In this introduction.
to the 99 names of Allah or the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next thing, my dearest brothers and sisters, that I want to discuss with you is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes are beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and perpetually perfect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in four places in His book, He informs us that He has the most beautiful of names and attributes. And in the Quran, when something is repeated more than once, then it, it is an indicator and an indication that this topic is very important. Allah doesn't repeat it just once, but Allah mentions it four times. In Surah Al-A'raf, Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا وَذَرُوا الَّذِينَ يُلْحِدُونَ فِي أَسْمَائِهِ سَيُجْزَوْنَ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ In Surah Al-Isra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلِ ادْعُوا اللَّهَ أَوِدْعُوا الرَّحْمَانِ أَيَّمَّا تَدْعُوا فَلَهُ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى وَلَا تَجْهَرُ بِصَلَاتِكَ وَلَا تُخَافِتْ بِهَا وَابْتَغِي بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ سَبِيلًا In Surah Taha, Allah la ilaha illa huwa lahu al-asma'u al-husna. In Surah Al-Hashr, as I recited at the beginning of today's lecture, Allah says, هُوَ اللَّهُ الْخَالِقُ الْبَارِئُ الْمُصَوِّرُ لَهُ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَ Four times Allah tells us that He has the most beautiful of names and attributes. And for the purpose of today's lecture, in terms of the time span that we have together to run this introduction, I want to share with you some information pertaining to the first ayah in Surah Al-A'raf. Because it appears first in the Qur'an in terms of it teaching us that Allah has the most beautiful of names and attributes. Allah says, and to Allah belongs the most perpetually perfect of names. So, فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا I'm not going to translate فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا because I want to dive a little bit deeper into the meanings of this term so we extract the most correct understanding. Then Allah says, and leave and disassociate with those who practice deviation concerning Allah's names. They will be recompensed for what, for what they did. Regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the most beautiful of names, Al-Husna. And Al-Husna in the Arabic language is the plural of Ahsan and not Hasan. Um, we have in language what we call in the Arabic language ism al the name of a word that carries a meaning which shows superiority. So for example, in the English language I say good. But above that I'd say better. And above that I'd say best. Right? So in the Arabic language we have hasan and we have ahsan. Hasan means good. Ahsan means best. Husna is the plural of Ahsan. So Allah is not telling us that Allah has good names. Allah is telling us that He has the best of names, the most beautiful of names, subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the first lesson we get from the ayah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names are absolutely, absolutely, perpetually beautiful in number one, 
in how the name sounds. Number two, in the letters that make up the name. Number three, in the meaning of the name. Number four, in the impact that the name has to you as a human being if you truly understand it. And that is why the scholars say that whenever you learn a name from the names of Allah, you need to ask yourself, number one, how does this name develop my faith? Number two, how does this faith, uh, this name develop my speech? Number three, how does this name develop my character? Number four, how does this name develop my worship? Four questions that you need to ask yourself with every name from the names of Allah that you learn. It's all good to know Allah is As-Sami'. He hears all. He's Al-Basir. He sees all. He's Al-Shaheed, the universal witness. He's Al-Khabir, the universally informed one. He's Al-Alim, the omniscient. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all good to know this. But number one, what does it mean to your Iman? What does it mean to your speech? To your character? To your worship? That's where the proof is, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam. So the first lesson is from this ayah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names are absolutely, perpetually perfect and beautiful. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَدْعُوهُ biha." فَدْعُوهُ comes from the root dua. And dua in the Arabic language or in the sharia carries two meanings. Number one, the common meaning that you and I attribute to dua, which is, which is when we raise our hands and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This in the sharia is known as dua ul-mas'ala. Dua ul-mas'ala. The dua of asking. When you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, you know, that black S-class, AMG, full options, leather, right? And when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most importantly, for the akhirah. This is dua al-mas'ala. When you raise your hands and you ask from Allah. But dua carries another meaning and this is a meaning which we not really, which is not really uh, known through my experience with the masses. And this is the meaning of worship. Dua carries the meaning of worship. And I highlight these two meanings. Because when Allah says that Allah has the most beautiful of names, فَدْعُوهُ biha, Many a translation that I've gone through says, so invoke Allah using His names. They offer you a translation based on one dimension of the actual meaning of the ayah. And this is why you'll never truly understand the Qur'an, by reading an English translation. Because a translation can only do some justice, cannot give it all of justice. Especially when you're translating a language as rich as the Arabic language. So many a translation says, Allah has the most beautiful of names. So make dua using those names. But today I want you to understand, when Allah says, فَدْعُوهُ biha, Yes, Allah is saying, make dua to Allah using His names. So if you need to be forgiven, use the names of forgiveness. If you're seeking mercy, use the names of mercy. If you're seeking repentance, use the names of repentance. If you're weak and seeking assistance, use the names of, of, of power and might. Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir, Al-Qahhar. Yes. But Allah is also saying, worship Allah using His names. That when you stand up in salah, or you offer that zakah, or you go for hajj, or you fast the month of Ramadan, conduct yourself in that worship using the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bringing a clear 
reality and sense of presence of exactly who your worship is being directed towards. That when you stand in front of him, you remember I'm standing in front of Ar-Rahman. And when you offer that zakah, you remember that I'm offering it for the sake of the one who sees all. I don't have to show off with it. It's going to develop you. It's going to help you develop that ikhlas and sincerity. That you want to give that charity in the most hidden of ways. Why? Because nothing is hidden from Al-Baqsi. When you advise someone, you want to advise in the most private of ways without anyone hearing you. Why? Because nothing is hidden from As-Sami' the one who hears all. When you volunteer, for example, for some community benefit, which is a form of worship in the eyes of Allah, if you intend Allah, you don't complain about the lack of recognition. Because shaitan will come to you and say, look how much work you're doing. But these other guys are not doing much work. But they're getting a thanks, you're not getting a thanks. Nobody's seeing the work that you do. It won't bother you. Because you're doing it for the sake of Allah. With the presence of mind that Allah is a shaheed. He's the universal witness. Who needs any human being to witness me? When Allah will reward me and he has witnessed what I have done. It develops you. It develops your demeanor. It develops your emotions. It develops your paradigms, your, your forms of thinking. This is the reality of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So fad'uhu biha. Use these names in your dua and use these names in your worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah says, Stay away from those, disassociate yourselves from those who practice ilhad, great disrespect. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his names. What does disrespect entail here? Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he mentions a few ways through which people practice ilhad with the names and attributes of Allah. He says number one, to give names of Allah to idols. This is a form of ilhad. Like how the Quraysh, they named their idols, Allah wal-Uzza. And Allah comes from the name Ilah. And Uzza from the name Al-Aziz. These are names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They attributed it to the idols. أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّةَ As Allah tells us in the Qur'an. Referencing the idols. This is a form of ilhad. Another way through which you disrespect Allah through His names and attributes is by giving Allah a name and attribute which is not befitting. Like how the Christians call Allah the Father. This is not befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He was never begotten nor did he beget subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing gave birth to him nor did he give birth to anything else. He doesn't have any children. So calling him the Father is a form of ilhaq. Or how... Allah tells us about the Jews and how they called Allah faqeer. لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ فَقِيرٌ وَنَحْنُ أَغْنِيَاءٌ Allah says, indeed those have disbelieved who have said that Allah is faqeer and poor, but we are rich. Allah says, سَنَكْتُبُ مَا قَالُوا We have recorded what they have done. وَقَتْلُهُمُ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ بِغَيْرِ حَقٍّ 
and the assassination of the messengers of Allah without right. We know this is the Jews, this is what they did. And they will indeed be punished in the hereafter. They will be told to taste the burning fire. This is not befitting brothers and sisters in Islam. If you give Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a name which is not befitting, this is from the practice of ilhat. Another way of practicing ilhad with the names and attributes of Allah is to affirm the names of Allah without the meanings or to claim that Allah doesn't have names and attributes. And sadly in our history, there are groups of people who have done this. They refuse to affirm that Allah has any names and attributes. And when they were uh, told about ayat in the Quran where Allah says about himself that he's al-basir, al-sami' and so on and so forth, then a group of them came from them who said, okay, we will stop saying that Allah doesn't have names and attributes, but we will say that He has names without attributes, meaning He has names without meanings. We'll affirm the name because the name is in the Quran, but we won't affirm a meaning. This is a, practice, a form of ilhad. Because how can a name be beautiful if it doesn't have a meaning? And Allah has told us that He has the most beautiful of names. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. From the names or the means, of practicing ilhad with the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to give a meaning from the names of Allah to the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or let me rephrase that. To give a meaning which is specific to Allah to the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Making the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specific to Him, the attributes of the creation of Allah and this has happened in our past. People have done this. For example, by uh, giving the attribute of lordship to people. Or absolute, or the, uh, uh, the ability to send rain to people. Or the ability to be absolutely merciful to people. No, these are attributes specific to Allah. And that is why you cannot name your child Rabb, or Ilah, or uh, Rahman. Because these, are, these names carry meaning specific to Allah. If you want to name your child with these names, you have, to, you have to place a prefix to the name. Such as Abd or Amah, Amatul Rahman or Abdul Rahman or Abdullah or Amatullah and so on and so forth. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, oh, so these are the lessons from this ayah before we move on. We took how many lessons? Number one, the lesson that Allah's names and attributes are perfect. Number two, the meaning of dua. And number three, what it means when you practice ilhad. Great disrespect with the names and attributes of Allah. The next thing I want to discuss with you all brothers and sisters in Islam is some rules and regulations pertaining to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I said, this is an introduction. We're fitting it in in the few minutes that we have. But again, don't lose sight of the objective. But now you have enough tools to spend your life in an endeavor developing the knowledge of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and in particular through His names and attributes. So, write down the heading, some, some regulations con, con, uh, pertaining to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, in the Arabic language we call this rule At-Tawqifiyya. And this rule teaches us that no one is allowed to give Allah a name. The only names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has are the names that He has given Himself. No one is allowed to give Allah a name. 
The only names that Allah has are the names that He has given Himself. And we know about these names either through the Qur'an or through the Sunnah. And they are names that we don't know. As the Prophet ﷺ said, there are some names of Allah that Allah will teach him only on the day of Qiyamah. Allah has countless names. So it's forbidden for anyone to give Allah a name. But this is different to a description. Can you describe Allah in a particular way? For example, describe Allah as the one who engineered the heavens and the earth. Our scholars say you are allowed to describe Allah with praiseworthy descriptions. As long as you do not convert that description into a name which Allah hasn't given Himself. So for example, it is allowed to say Allah engineered the heavens and the earth. But are we allowed to call Allah the engineer? Can you understand? Based on this rule, you are allowed to call Allah Say Allah, describe Allah as having engineered the heavens and the earth. But are we allowed to call him the engineer? No. Because now you're giving him a name which he didn't give himself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next rule related to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes are upon al-mathal al-a'la. Al-mathal al-a'la refers to the greatest example. Meaning, every meaning from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists upon an absolutely perfect reality that cannot be comprehended by the minds which Allah has given us. Our minds are amazing, but they have limitations. And from the limitations of the mind is for the mind to have the ability to understand Allah in His reality subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which means when we say Allah has the most absolutely perfect names, if I tell you to describe perfect, you need to say it's beyond my ability to describe because Allah is perfect beyond my ability to imagine. And nowadays perfect is a relative term, right? What is perfect to you might not be perfect to him. But you will still use the term perfect. And what is perfect to him is not perfect to you. But he will still use the term perfect. But when we say Allah is perfect, we say perfect beyond anyone's ability to describe and to understand. Does that make sense brothers and sisters? This is Al-Mathalul A'la. Walillahi Al-Mathalul A'la. To Allah belongs the most absolutely perpetually perfect of names beyond any human being's ability to describe and imagine. So if you are amazed by your understanding of the term Ar-Rahman, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the entirely merciful, He has a mercy that encompasses everything and nothing can escape it, and you are amazed by it, understand that the reality of that name is far more amazing than you've understood. Subhanallah. Right? So this is the second rule, Al-Mathalun A'la. The next rule, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, states that the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala found in du'as in the Qur'an and the sunnah, or let me rephrase that, descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala found in the Qur'an and sunnah are names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, in the sunnah, we find a du'a, Allahumma innaka afuwun. 
That, oh Allah, indeed you are afuun. You, you are the one, this is a description of Allah. You are the one who effaces sins, annihilates sins. So because this description is in a dua of the Prophet ﷺ, we can extract a name from this description based on this rule and call Allah Al-Afu. Does that make sense? Al-Afu. So descriptions of Allah found in the duas which are established in the Quran and the Sunnah, we can extract a name from the names of Allah. So for those who are searching for the names of Allah, if you come across a dua in the Quran or the Sunnah, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing in the dua a description of Allah, know and understand that this is from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah says, for, and I think the, 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 the example is clear. The next rule pertaining to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that different versions of a name which come from the same root are counted as individual names. So for example, in the Jum'ah Khutbah today, I taught you about Al-Ghafir and Al-Ghaffar and Al-Ghafur. These are three names which come from the same root, Ghafara. But when you count these names, you don't count them as one name, you count them as three. Why? Because they each carry their own unique meaning. As we explained uh, in the Jum'ah Khutbah today. Al-Ghafir refers to the one who forgives. But Al-Ghaffar, the one who perpetually forgives. Al-Ghafur, the one whose, whose occupation is to forgive. Right? So even though they come from the same root, when you count the names, you count them as individual names. Another example is Al-Qadir, Al-Qadir, Al-Muqtadir. These three names stem from the same root, Qadara. But when we count them, we count them as three independent names. Why? Because they carry three unique meanings. The next rule pertaining to the names and attributes of Allah. The names of Allah which coexist in the Quran and Sunnah, we count them as one and never separate them. The names of Allah in the Quran and Sunnah, which Allah revealed together, we never separate them. For example, we never separate these names. We never separate these names. Why? Because if you separate them, a meaning will come to be which is not perfect. So for example, if we say Al-Awwal, Allah is the first of the first, without saying Al-Zahir, somebody might take the meaning that Allah is the first of the first, then He expired. But when you say Al-Awwal, Al-Zahir is the first of the first and the last of the last. Or according to some uh, explainers, Allah is hidden and apparent. So if you take the meaning of hidden without the meaning of apparent, it might, take, it might carry a negative meaning. That sometimes Allah is unaware of what you do. But if you take it with the meaning, Al-Awwal Wa-Zahiru, He is the apparent one and the hidden one. Uh, sorry, Al-Zahiru Wal-Batin, forgive me. Al-Awwal Wal-Akhiru Wal-Zahiru Wal-Batin. Al-Awwal Wal-Akhir. These names are together. The first of the first and the last of the last. Al-Zahiru Wal-Batin. The apparent one and the hidden one. If you separate these names, you might get a meaning that is not beautiful. 
Like I said earlier, if we say Al-Awwal, someone might think, okay, Allah is the first of the first, but He expired. But if you say Al-Awwalu Wal-Akhiru, that understanding doesn't come to me. He's the first of the first, He's the last of the last. Al-Dahiru Wal-Baqir, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hidden, but even though He's hidden, He's apparent. So no one can take the, the understanding that Allah is hidden, so maybe I can hide and do something, He won't know. Does that make sense? If you understand that Allah is hidden with the same, at the same time, simultaneously taking the understanding that Allah is also apparent, He's the hidden and the apparent, then no one can take a negative meaning that there are times when Allah is unaware. Does that make sense? So these names which the, we find in the Quran and the Sunnah connected, we don't separate. Al-Qabidu wal-Basitu is a common one which is asked. Al-Qabid means the one who holds. If you separate Al-Qabidu from Al-Basitu, which refers to the one who gives without measure, you might take the wrong meaning. Because if we say Allah withholds, sometimes human beings withhold for different reasons. Maybe because they don't have. Maybe because they're stingy. Maybe because they have an issue, a bone to pick with you, as we would say in colloquial English. So why does Allah withhold? So we never separate the names. We say Allah is Al-Qabid Al-Basit. Allah is the one who withholds and is the one who forgives you without measure. So no one can take the wrong meaning. Why? Because when you understand this name with the other name, you understand that Allah is the one who gives without measure and even when He doesn't give, He's giving you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. That even when He doesn't give you, He's giving you. Because it's not that He's not giving you because He doesn't have. He's not giving you because it's good for you that you don't get. So if Allah doesn't give you that which will harm you, hasn't He given you? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't want to get too philosophical here. <laughs> right? But this is the reality. So take this rule. That names which Allah revealed together, we never ever separate. Last but not least. A rule from the rules of Allah's names and attributes. Allah Almighty's actions are a result of His names and attributes. And not the other way around. We never ever say that Allah's names and attributes are a result of His actions. Some people are saying, is he speaking Chinese? That just uh, flew over us, huh? Let me, let me explain it. Let me further explain it. I'll repeat what I said and then I'll further explain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions are a result of His names and attributes. And not the other way around. We'd never ever say Allah's names and attributes are a result of His actions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically what am I saying? I am saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he was Al-Khaliq before He created. He was Al-Ghafir before He forgave anyone. He was Al-Rahman before He showered mercy on anyone. Allah didn't need to create, do the action of creating, to now be called Al-Khaliq. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He never needed to forgive anyone to now be called Al-Ghafir. Unlike human beings, you and I can adopt names and attributes only after action. You can't be called a footballer if you can't play football. You can't be called a doctor if you don't practice medicine. You got to do the action before you are given the title. 
Right? Even in judiciary, I am not a practicing judge, I'm just a qualified judge. So I can't accept people calling me a judge. I don't practice judiciary. The action of judging, I haven't practiced it as a career or as an occupation. So in our norm, you are not deserving of the title judge. Because a qualified judge is different to a practicing judge. So you and I can only adopt our titles when we practice the action. But not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because He's perfect from ever and perfect forever. He was always Al-Khaliq before He created from ever. And He will always be Al-Khaliq forever. He was always Al-Rahman from ever. He was always that. He never needed to practice showing mercy for Him to now get this title. As if He is developing. وَالْعِيَادُ billah. Allah is perfect from ever and is perfect forever subhanahu wa ta'ala may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with immense love for him subhanahu wa ta'ala and bless us with immense knowledge of his names and attributes I pray that you are developing a desire a will to really pursue this topic with this introduction brothers and sisters in Islam because this is my dua to Allah with this talk that I'm giving you and that's why I've highlighted the objective of the talk as Ibn al-Qayyim said there's no true happiness or blessings except through making this your life's prerogative. Understanding who your Lord is. And wallahi wa billahi wa tallahi. Even if you live 10 lives, you will never finish understanding who He is. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how amazing He is. One last thing, brothers and sisters, before we end. I want to discuss a famous hadith which you ask about. The hadith about the 99 names of Allah. The hadith which says, indeed Allah has 99 names, 100 less 1. Whoever ahsaha dakhal al-jannah. Whoever ahsaha will enter jannah. Generally it's translated as whoever memorizes the names will enter jannah. I want to teach you a lesson to it, so I get less emails from you about it. Because there's a misconception about this hadith. There's two misconceptions. Number one, Allah only has 99 names. No, Allah has more than 99 names. But why does Allah say, or why did the Prophet ﷺ said, indeed Allah has 99 names, 100 less 1. Why did He say 100 less 1? 100 less 1 means it's only 99 names. We can't interpret this in any way. So how can Allah have more than 99 names when the hadith is saying Allah has 99 names only? The answer to that question is for you to look at the rest of the hadith. Indeed, Allah has 99 names. Whoever ahsaha, the loose translation is memorizes them, will go to Jannah. For you to go to Jannah through names of Allah, then you need to work with 99 names. That's what it means. The hadith is not saying Allah only has 99 names. The hadith is saying for you to create a chance for, you, for yourself to go to Jannah, then you need to apply yourself with 99 names, 100 less 1. For example, if I say, Muhammad has 10,000 Kuwaiti dinars prepared for charity. Do you understand from my statement that Muhammad's net worth is 10,000 Kuwaiti dinars? Do you? Yes or no? Come on brothers and sisters, you're here in front of me, right? You can speak, speak up. Yes or no? No. You understand that he has more than 10,000 Kuwaiti dinars, but 10,000 has been apportioned for charity. This is the same way. We understand this hadith. That Allah has countless names, but 99 
has been portioned for this practice. That whoever looks after, whoever the common translation is, memorizes them, will go to Jannah. So I hope we've answered the misconception number one. Does Allah have 99 names or more? More. How many? Countless. Alright. Misconception number two. If I just memorize the names, will I go to Jannah? No. No. You know this religion is a religion of substance. It's not a shallow religion. This religion is not, you know, walk through this door, switch off the light, turn around three times and you go to Jannah. <laughs> this is not Islam. Islam was never about symbols. Islam is about substance and reality. It can't just be, you just memorize 99 names, then miss salah and don't pay zakah and treat your parents poorly and do what you want, you're going to go to Jannah. Does this make sense? No. Maybe a non-Muslim will say, Khalas, why should I become a Muslim? Let me just memorize these 99 names and I'll go to Jannah. And that is why I want to highlight to you the incorrect translation of the term Man Ahsaha. Because many a translation says, whoever memorizes these names will go to Jannah. The reality is, brothers and sisters, the term Ahsa, Yuhsi, Ihsa'an, this term has many meanings in the Arabic language. And for us to understand this hadith, we should look at the meanings of this term. The first meaning of the term is to understand. There you are. Some people are now saying, Subhanallah. Memorizing is easy. Understanding how this needs more effort. Well, there you go. Go to Jannah is not as easy as knocking the door and it's just going to open. <laughs> you, have to, you have to put effort. You have to understand the names of Allah. From the meanings of, uh, of uh, Ahsaha is to understand. And that we know this through the usage of the term by the Arabs. The Arabs would say, Fulanun duhasa. Our brother from Egypt, Egypt is, is here, he can confirm or deny. And our other Arab brothers here. Man ahsaha. They would say, Fulanun duhasa. That this person is a person of understanding. So from the meanings of Ahsaha is to understand. From the meanings of Ahsaha is to count. To count something. لَقَدْ أَحْصَاهُمْ وَعَدَّهُمْ Allah says in the Qur'an, we, we have counted them. We have audited them and counted them with a counting. From the meanings of Ahsa is to count. The third meaning of Ahsa is to memorize. This is from the meanings of Ahsa. To memorize. Which means brothers and sisters in Islam, the hadith, let's now go back to the translation. The hadith would be translated as follows. Indeed, Allah has 99 names, 100 less 1. Whoever counts them, memorizes them, revises them so they don't forget them, and understands them, will go to Jannah. And remember we said understanding is putting it into practice because the end of knowledge is to act on it. Knowledge is not an end in and of itself. Action is the end of knowledge. Now I ask you a question. If you came across a brother or a sister who counted 99 names of Allah, which means they read the Quran, they read the Sunnah, MashaAllah. So they counted 99 names. Then they memorized them, which needed effort. Then they revised them daily so they didn't forget. Then they spent their life learning the meanings of these names. Because as we said, no matter how long you live, you will always learn new things about the meanings of the names of Allah. Because that's how amazing Allah is. 
And then they pass away. I ask you a question, where do you think this person will go? To Jannah. This person will go to Jannah. This is the reality of the meaning of this hadith. And finally, brothers and sisters, did the Prophet, because just to touch on this point that they counted 99 names, somebody will say, why do I need to count? It's very easy, you know, there's this nice cards that we get and this YouTube uh, video, 99 names of Allah. This is fine. You can use uh, the preparation of other people. But you must know that we don't have 99 names of Allah from the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, we don't have a case whereby the Prophet ﷺ passed away listing 99 names one after the other. Does that make sense? As for the hadith in Sunan At-Tirmidhi, which mentions the hadith with the 99 names, then the 99 names comes from one of the narrators of the hadith, not from the Prophet sallallahu established by our scholars such as Ibn Taymiyyah and other scholars of, before him, scholars of hadith. That the hadith was transmitted as, Allah has 99 names, 100 minus 1, whoever ahsaha dakhal al-jannah. Whoever ahsaha will enter jannah. Whoever counts them, memorizes them, understands them, practices them, will go to jannah. And it was narrated like this through the different generations. And then one teacher taught the same hadith, and along with it, he taught his students the 99 names with it, which he gathered from his effort. And that narrator went to the next generation, releasing the hadith with the 99 names. Until a few people thought that this, these 99 names is part of the hadith and came from the Prophet ﷺ. But the science of hadith is such an intricate science that it can actually teach us these nuanced, these nuanced differences. That it can actually highlight exactly when the narration started being released with 99 names. To teach us that it didn't come from the Prophet ﷺ, rather it was from the work of one of the pious predecessors of this ummah. Which means their scope to other uh, worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating their own list of 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon the rules and regulations I shared with you. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and He's perfect. Any mistakes are from myself and uh, shaytan. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala His forgiveness. Um, we have run this talk uh, for close to uh, I don't know, 18 minutes or so. Uh, but please uh, uh, offer me your uh, merciful self. It's my first trip here. I don't know when I'll be back. I have to leave as much as I can. That perhaps you will practice on it and you all will be sadaqatul jariyah for myself, inshallah, and my teachers, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all with better than you dream in both worlds. Ameen. Hada wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.